This is America's Webradio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Welcome to America's Homegrown Veggie Show. I'm Daryl Pullis, and my guest today is Joe Lample. You know Joe probably from 15 shows that he's been on, and most, I guess the biggest one that you're on constantly is your own show. It's called Growing a Greener World TV. Right. But tell everybody where you've been. You were, you, I think you started out, didn't you, doing Weather Channel, or at least when you came up here to well, Georgia? I mean, if we go all the way back, it was Do It Yourself Network, you know, a sister station to HGTV and mm-hmm. Food Network. And uh, we were growing food uh, south of Atlanta in a, in a garden that was 40 by 60 square feet. And we had, I think, about 16 raised beds. And the whole premise of the show was to teach people how to grow food from seed to harvest. And every episode featured a single type of plant, such as tomatoes or beans or whatever. And um, the show was only going to be one season and 26 episodes. But halfway through the first season, the producers realized that the audience really enjoyed the show, and so they made it or they invited us to extend the season to three years and another 26 episodes. So we ended up doing 52 episodes over three years, growing everything you can possibly grow in Georgia. (laughs) So that's how that went. Oh, my. I, and I, I grow a lot of vegetables, but how man, how do you do 52 episodes? You you feature tomatoes like three different times, uh-huh. and then you include herbs some, and you get a little creative because I don't think there are 52 crops really that thrive in Georgia. <laughs> but we grew, we pushed the limits. We tried parsnips and, you know, cauliflower can be tricky no matter where you are, and, and uh, um, Brussels sprouts, but we, you know, we... We managed to pull it off, and we had only one partial failure, and that was with watermelon. Our, we got, uh, I think, um, septoria leaf spot or something. I can't recall, but there was a it, condition that caused uh, some disease on the leaves and stunted the growth of our watermelon. And um, so we uh, we had a harvest that got halfway through full size on the watermelon, and then we had to face it, you know, like our producers didn't want to admit or didn't want to really feature the fact that we had what would be considered to some people a failure. But I felt like, you know, this is what gardening really is all about. It's not about perfection. You know, it's about progress and learning from your mistakes and some of those mistakes you can't avoid. But you got to, you got to roll with the punches. I'm so glad you said that because I know a lot of people think that if they can't do everything perfectly in the garden that they're failures, that they have a black thumb. And I can't tell you how many plants I've killed in my gardening life. Right. Um, and, and as a matter of fact, the standing joke used to be you can always tell the gardener by the size of their compost pile all of those plants that they have composted because they died or they we screwed up in, in some way or another. Yep. And one of the things I've been impressed with with growing a greener world is you're not afraid to show a plant out there that maybe has some leaf spot on it, right. even if you're not talking about it. Right. And, and that's the fact. You know, everybody wants to see the gardener's garden. And I think the the mistake that we make, and I think the TV industry and the magazine industry and a lot of media companies are somewhat responsible for this, is that, you know, they only want to show perfection. But with gardening, the reality is that you know, it's it's not about perfection. But if we try to paint that picture in the media that that's 
you know, that's when you have success, then we're setting ourselves up for failure, you know, because there are challenges. It's not that it's hard, but we have to understand that the path to close to perfection has some bumps along the way. And we've, we've got to learn how to deal with those bumps to get there. I, I think you're absolutely right. And the other thing that I've seen happening with um, commercial fertilizers and pesticides and stuff like that, they show that people that they should want absolute perfection, that perfect lawn without yeah. a weed in it. Yeah. And doggone it, what are the bees going to have if there's not a little clover in the lawn? When I, when I was growing up, it used to be common they would sell grass seed with a certain percentage of clover in it because the clover fixes nitrogen yeah. so you didn't have to fertilize the lawn. Right. Uh, but then I think the... Um the herbicide companies realized, or the fertilizer company, one of those companies realized that, you know, they had a product that when you put it down on the grass, it killed the dandelions and the clover, and they decided that, oh, well, let's make that a good thing. And so, you know. And, and now we have, you know, a long time ago I worked for Extension, and my job was funded by a grant from the EPA, and the reason that the EPA funded it um, was because the University of Georgia had done some studies that showed that the pollution from suburbs, from suburban lawns, was much worse going into the Chattahoochee River than the, than the stuff from the farms and the factories. It is. It's coming off of our lawns. Back, our backyards. Water wants to always go somewhere, and it's usually downhill, and it's into that watershed, which makes its way into that creek or that stream. And for us, ultimately into the mouth of the Mississippi River down there at the Gulf. And you've got that area called the dead zone. Is that the scariest thing that you've seen in the world, Joe? Right. For those of you that are listening, Google dead zone and Mississippi, and you will see just some astonishing things. I mean, we were all worried about the oil spill a few years back, and that was terrible. Right. But when you see what's coming off of farm fields in suburbia and going in and killing the wildlife, the fish, mm -hmm. the all the life, right? it is truly a dead zone. Well, and what happens is you see this image. When you Google that, typically what will come up is an image of that area from the from Texas all the way over to the, you know, the um, panhandle of Florida, and it's this bright red color, and then it's, you know, shades of red down to back to blue. But the red indicates um, an area that's been deprived of oxygen. And the reason why that happens is that as the fertilizer makes its way down the rivers to that mouth of the Gulf of Mexico, the nitrogen and the phosphorus are promoting, you know, all this algae growth. So it's basically fertilizer for the algae, the sea life, this microscopic plant life that lives in the ocean. So they thrive, but their lifespan is so limited, they die. So as they die, they're decomposing, and it's taking oxygen to facilitate the decomposition process, which is depriving the oxygen from the existing life that's needed there and so therefore those things die and it's a it's a bad cycle you know it's a bad loop and um that's why they call it the dead zone and some of our listeners might have seen it in their own neighborhoods too because there are an awful lot of retention ponds and of course most people don't know a lot of people don't know that storm drains go right into our streams and yeah. our lakes and in very many areas i know even around where i've lived 
by the end of the summer, you have these big, huge algae blooms. It's just gunk from all of that stuff coming down. And then, as you say, when the algae dies, it drops to the bottom. It decomposes. It uses up the oxygen Mm -hmm. that the fish need. Right. And you, they may, some of our listeners may have seen it in their own little backyard ponds if they yes. have water gardens. Yes. Because you know, sometimes in the spring you get that big algae bloom and if you haven't cleaned the leaves out and then the algae dies. And if you don't get that detritus out, pretty soon you'll see the fish all up at the top of your pond mm-hmm. gasping for air. Yeah. And we cause that yeah. by using too much fertilizer. Mm-hmm. So keeping it on target and using it with discretion uh, is hugely important. You know, and I don't, I don't, it's not, to me, it's not so much the um, synthetic or non-organic fertilizer that's the real problem. It's really the misuse of the fertilizer yes. that's the biggest problem. That's what we need to watch. Yeah, and and I guess the only, when people think of organic fertilizers, they always think of them as being slow release, mm-hmm. which is for the most part true, though there are some quick release organics. And that's one of the reasons why it makes it a little bit easier or safer for the environment mm-hmm. for people. But there's no reason why, if you need to, that you can't use a slow release um, synthetic fertilizer. Right. And... Some of and, and the benefit of that is that it's not you put it down and it's not just immediately running off with the first hard rain. It's yeah. staying in the soil. It's being broken down by microbes. My own personal preference, of course, is to use an organic fertilizer. Yeah. But some, it's not always possible. And, right. and, and people are living in the te- in a city and they don't yeah. have room for a big compost pile. And and doggone, you know, fertilizer can be expensive. It, well, it we, surely can, and it's gotten so much more expensive than it used to be. Well, and the synthetic fertilizers, of course, are very expensive because of the petroleum prices going up and up and up. But now you would think they would be starting to come down because petroleum prices are you know, 40% yeah. less. But that's gonna, that may happen in the cycle, but it's going to take a long time before yeah. we see that. Oh, yeah. And, of course, the other part of the problem we have is our phosphorus supplies are being depleted worldwide. Yeah. And the, and the thing about it is when they put phosphorus into fertilizer, you know, I don't know if it's by habit or people just think that they need it. But the thing about it is phosphorus stays in the soil much longer and it's not needed as much as nitrogen. I mean, it's still one of the primary nutrients, but it's not needed as much. Uh, so it's a good thing and it's an important thing that they're – Fertilizer makers are putting less of that into the ratios these days because it's just not needed as much. In many parts, particularly up in the Middle Atlantic states, you need to get a soil test if you're going first to prove that you need um, a phosphorus fertilizer yeah. because they've had so much problem problem with fish kill and eutrophication, and which is a big long word basically that says it, everything gets stinky and then dies mm. or, or get, dies and gets stinky yeah. um, from pollution. And it's, and that makes perfect sense to me. Yeah. I mean, how many how many listeners I wonder have ever gotten a soil test to know exactly what they might need in their garden? Uh, a lot fewer than should. I think many of us hear about the importance of getting a soil test, but the practice in reality is that we don't usually follow through on that. And and it's just you know it's one more thing on our to do list that we don't get to. But it's 
fairly simple to do. Yeah. We're, we're here in Georgia are very lucky because we can take a soil sample to our university extension service, and they will mail it. And in Georgia, we have a fantastic soil lab. Right. Um, and they will t- actually measure the, the quality of the soil. They will do the nutrients, but they will also tell us, based on whether our soil is clay-based or sand-based, and how mi- what its nutrient-holding capacity is, they will give you an exact readout. Yeah. And tell you, you know, okay, you need X amount of nitrogen and X amount of lime, and um, you can ask for them to convert it into organic values if you want to. But there are mail order places, too, that will do that. Private labs, right. Yeah, private labs. Now, I did not know, that's good to know, so I did not know that, like, a University of Georgia can, can or will convert the analysis recommendation into convert it into an organic recommendation. They will, the county office will do that if awesome. you ask. And there's also UGA Publications ha, has a publication on how to, that says just how to convert yeah. that organic, that inorganic into an organic. I've uh, seen that, yes. Uh, but all you have to do is ask. Huh. You know, the soil testing back when I worked for Extension, it had started out, of course, just for farmers. Um, and so that they would give recommendation in acres rather than right. in oh, per yes. foot of row or anything yes. like that. And one of my jobs working there was to convert things like that for people that oh. just had a, a small garden plot. Huh. Um, and, and now it's in a computer program, I understand, so that you don't have to sit there, but you do have to ask for it. Well, that makes sense. But let me tell you, one of the things that I love about getting a soil test is to inform you not so much about what you need to add fertilizer-wise, because the mistake I think we all make without doing a soil test is, well, I'm sure, you know, I have this bag of, you know, grass-starting fertilizer. I'll just use that, or I'll use a 10-10-10 or something like that. But the fact of the matter is we may not need that, especially with, like, the things that stay in the ground, like phosphorus so much. So when we continue to add nutrients that don't necessarily need to be there, we actually build up to a point of excess, those nutrients, which can then work to the detriment of what we're trying to do because now we throw off the soil pH or there's too much of one thing, which more of it doesn't make it better And when it comes to fertilizer per se, and we actually confound or complicate the problem. So I like to use it to know what I don't need to add. That's a very good point, Joe. We have to take a little break right now, but when we come back, I want to tell you a story about somebody who should have known better. And known, Joe, it's not you. Was, yeah, that was going to be me. We, we will talk about your, about your herbicide and stuff like that, but we'll talk about more about fertilizer when we come back right after this break. Hello, I'm Dr. Mike Karuchak. Have you ever wondered what doctors talk about amongst themselves? If you do, join us on the Doctor's Lounge and hear the doctors' conversations amongst themselves. Join me and my co-host, Dr. Hal Schertz, every Thursday morning, 8 to 9 a.m. Quick Stakes, that's Q-U-I-K Stakes, are not just for surveyors. They are great for family and community gardens. Go online to www.quickstake.com or contact your local land surveying supply dealer and get you a box of Quick Stakes. You'll love them every year when you plant your garden. Again, that's Quick Stakes, Q-U-I-K Stakes the truly preferred way to stake and identify what's in your garden now. This is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you.
Welcome back to America's Homegrown Veggie Show. I'm Daryl Pullis, and my guest today is Joe Lample. And right before the break, we were talking about fertilizer. And Joe made the point that sometimes we throw fertilizer on just because we think it's the right thing to do and that we can get an excess of something. And I know two uh, occasions when I was working for Extension where you mentioned phosphorus in particular. Mm -hmm. And the phosphorus levels, in one case, it was a farmer that had been throwing 10-10-10 on his crops for years and years and years, and he'd also been liming. Now, he was kind of a weekend farmer. He wasn't a farmer farmer. And it ended up that he had a pH of 8 point something, wow. which is, you know, practically getting close to growing on limestone, and he had so much phosphorus that it ended up being toxic. Wow. And he, you know, he kept throwing fertilizer on, thinking that he didn't have enough fertilizer, and because of that... You know, you know, when you see a plant looking puny, what's what's your first thing that you it needs fertilizer? Yeah, you think it's hungry, poor right. little thing. And <laughs> so that's what he would do. He would go out there and, and he was throwing it by the handfuls. And then there was another uh, gentleman who had who would go and up to the chicken farms up in North Georgia, and he would bring back a load of chicken manure every year. And he was bringing back the chicken manure and chicken manure and chicken manure and ended up with way high phosphorus levels, too. Oh. So it can happen for those of you that have, you know, that have your backyard chickens or who have access to it. It can happen with something that you think is organic and natural. Yep. I had to stop using my chicken litter in my garden after a while, after several years, because I had so much chicken litter and so much phosphorus that my phosphorus levels were getting up there. Right. And, and so you just don't know that until you do the soil test. You have right. no way of knowing. You, yeah, I mean, you can't tell. I mean, the, the old farmers used to go out there and they would take a handful of soil and they would taste it. And that would tell them whether they needed True. lime or not. And, it, and, and then they would kind of guess on the rest of it. But at the time, same time, they were also... Um, Turning their crop residues back into the into the soil, yep. and changing around, rotating their crops so they would have different crops growing, and and some would provide extra nitrogen, like if they grew a crop of peas or beans, and then they would follow that with corn, and the corn would use the nitrogen, mm-hmm. and so they they had a pretty good balance there. The ones that were smart, the ones that were not factory farming, but we as home gardeners um, don't have the knowledge in many cases to do that. Right. And you mentioned the lime as it relates to soil pH, which is that measure of how alkaline or acidic our soil is. And so there's that ideal range or window that we try to strive for that most plants prefer to grow their best. And one of the problems is you just as as you've just illustrated is that you know, when we're not paying attention to that, and we don't intuitively think about soil pH, and we throw down whatever we throw down, we're changing the chemistry of the soil, and many times adversely to the point that it gets outside of that ideal range. And we need to know where we are relative to the ideal range, and the only way that we're going to find that out is with a soil test. So for me, the other most important reason for that soil test, other than to find out what I don't need to add, is to find out what my soil pH is. For example, if I'm trying to grow grass or vegetables, well, grass and vegetables have a little bit different preference for their what's considered ideal number for pH, and I need to be able to adjust to that. 
So by doing the soil test and letting Extension or University of Georgia know that I'm trying to grow vegetables, they're going to tell me, well, the ideal soil pH range for vegetables is 6.5 or 7, but your pH, Joe, is 7.5, so what you need to do is this to get your pH down, or maybe you need to add something to get it up. But anyway, the point is, I don't know that until I've done my soil test, and then the instructions tell me what I need to do to get it into that ideal range. So especially as an organic gardener, where typically if you're continuing to add organic matter, your pH should, your nutrient level should be right about where it's supposed to be. You still need to know what the pH level is going to be. And that's, you know, aside from adjusting for nutrients as an organic gardener, I think I've got everything in line. I still need to know what the pH is and how to adjust for that. So for no other reason, you need to know what your pH level is and how to adjust for it. Yeah, there are very few of our listeners that have perfect soil. I grew up in the Midwest, and it was about as close to perfect as you could get mm-hmm. um, pH-wise. And I know that we have listeners in Kentucky on limestone beds. Their pH tends to be high, and they have to worry about that. They wouldn't be adding lime. L- likewise, the people out in the, on the West Coast, in the arid parts of the country especially, um, they don't need to add lime, but they do need to be aware of what their pH pH is, uh, just because if your pH is too high, crops won't grow very well. That's why you see vast areas of the country where you get one particular plant that grows really well and not much else grows there. And, of course, we as gardeners, as homeowners, go in there and we want to plant what we want to plant. Mm-hmm. And you remember that old margarine commercial that said it's not nice to fool Mother Nature? Yes, I do. And that's what they're—that's what we're doing as gardeners, and we need to work as closely with Mother Nature as we can. And to do that takes a little bit of knowledge. Yeah, we will never outsmart other Mother Nature, uh, but uh, we need to work with her, not against her. But we're talking about soil and pH and nutrients and everything like that. You know, there isn't a reading on many soil tests these days that is very important for people to know, but we. Never talk about it, and that's the organic content of soil. And I think a lot of people would be surprised to know that most soils have a very, very low level of organic matter, really between zero and ideally 5%. I mean, if we had 5% organic matter in our soil, we would hit pay dirt. I mean, that is really the level that we need to strive for. And it doesn't sound like much, 5% of our soil organic. What do you mean? You mean all my soil isn't organic? Well, no, it's not. It's mostly minerals and water and air is really all it is with 0 to 5% organic matter. But it's that organic matter that provides all the life to the soil. It's what all the microbes need. It's it's how water and air is stored in the pockets of the organic matter. Um, there's so much about that that we never talk about that's so important that makes everything really work in harmony underground. And one of the things that I learned when I was just, I, I like to drop into college. I've been doing it all my life. You know, you, you get done with the stuff that you have to do, right, when you're in your 20s. But then you get to a point where you want to shake the hayseeds out of your hair, mm. so you go take a class. Mm-hmm. and Or you take classes from extension from some of the specialists. Or you, If those of you that live anywhere near one of the university systems that has um, an ag program, most of them have field days. And if you call them up and ask when their field days for this or that or the other are coming up. And I attended a field day once that they, they took us to some virgin soil 
it had not ever been planted. Wow. We went three feet down with organic matter. Wow. And then just a little ways away, you know, half a mile where it had been farmed, it wasn't, maybe it wasn't even half a mile, you could see where over time after continuous cropping and removing that organic matter, you know, because you, you don't always think about you're taking that organic matter off when you harvest the corn, particularly like corn for ethanol. Mm-hmm. But even in our own gardens, if we don't put that organic matter back, it's out of there. It's gone. Organic matter decomposes quickly. And if we don't put it back... Where is it going to come from? We've got to add it back. If you wait for the leaves to fall and break down and, uh, you know, worm castings to form to a, a level that's of any significance whatsoever, that literally can be years and years and years. I mean, in some cases, thousands of years to get half an inch of organic matter. Depends where you are. Right. That is certainly true in the hot and humid southeast. Um in some parts of the country where it we don't have the heat, we don't have the humidity. I was talking to Jeff Lowenfels, and the, he's up in, in Anchorage, of course, mm-hmm. and they have some soils there that are just so hugely organic mm-hmm. after years and years of, of not breaking down that they have to dig it out because they, the soils are not stable enough to plant on, to, to, to build on. Right. And, you know, so it's different, but we as gardeners need to know. And those of you that live basically the whole east coast of this country, you're going to have that problem of all the, all the organic matter that you put on there, particularly if you till. Absolutely, if you till. And when you till, you're burning up the organic matter more quickly because you're introducing oxygen and aerating that environment. And that's when the microbes and what life is in the soil gets very active and they use up the organic matter and the oxygen as they're breaking down. Yeah, and you know, for years and years, my ideal in the spring, I couldn't wait for the lady down the road to come with her plow and plow up my garden spot in my backyard. Yeah. And then she would come back and harrow it later so it was smooth. I mean, it looked like baby powder. Wow. Like reddish brown baby powder when she got done. And... But it took all the life out of it, too. I didn't realize that for years. And I would, you know, add organic matter, and I was getting spoiled hay, you know, because back in the day before that we had to worry about herbicides in our hay, people would have hay that that their horses or cows couldn't consume, and it'd be leftover. And it was dirt cheap, and I would be putting that on, you know, four or five inches deep. And by the next year, after it was plowed, it was gone. Yeah, yeah. That's kind of scary, isn't it? It is. And and I like to tell people that, you know, you need to think of your soil like a bank account. In your garden, you put your plants in, and they're taking up nutrients. So they're making withdrawals of the nutrients. So the soil or your raised bed is your bank account, and the nutrients are your investment. And the roots are acting like you know the one that's spending all the money or making all the withdrawals. So they're taking out the nutrients and taking out the nutrients. Well, in our bank accounts, that wouldn't be a good thing if somebody was coming along withdrawing from our account all the time. The only way we're going to retire ever or when we want to retire is to make sure that we continue to make deposits into our bank account. And that, as an organic gardener, is is through continuing to add organic nutrients for me through compost and some other organic uh, amendments, but if I don't do that, my plants are taking up what's available to them around them, and we've got to find a way to get that back. 
Now, you can do it. You can supplement back to the man-made fertilizers. I mean, because they do work. But the problem is that as they work, they're they're doing some not so good things. You know, they're salt-based. They're they're burning up the life around the area where the roots are, and uh, they don't help with water retention and mediation. So, you know, we really need to be thinking a lot more in terms of the organic matter and. Uh, working with Mother Nature rather than trying to always look to science to do that. Have you, you, you mentioned that fertilizers killed a life in the soil. Have you ever put fertilizer down and then gone and dug into that area a week later? No, I haven't, but I've experienced excess fertilizer on the surface of the soil, and I've seen what it's done there. Tell me. I, my garden is just full of earthworms. Yeah. And... I had a bag of stuff when we, when my dad moved. We had a bunch of stuff, uh-huh. and among the things that were there was some fertilizer. And yeah. I had an area that I hadn't planted in a while. And if yeah, you know, I've got yeah. it. Why not use it? Yeah. I put the stuff down, and a week later there were no earthworms there. Uh-huh. No earthworms at all were in that area, and I've had that happen with wood ash too. Uh-huh. And Wayne, Dr. Wayne McLaurin, who used to work for UGA mm-hmm. in the horticulture department in, in vegetables primarily, he said, "Well, you think about it, and the earthworms, their skin is very uh, electrically conducive, conductive, uh-huh. and it poisons them. I mean, it shocks them." Mm-hmm. And you mentioned the salt, too. Yeah, and they run away. And, of course, we need those worms in the garden. We're going to make back. We have to take a little break right now, but we'll be back talking more earthworms and other things right after this. Quick steaks, that's Q-U-I-K steaks, are not just for surveyors. They are great for family and community gardens. Go online to www.quicksteak.com or contact your local land surveying supply dealer and get you a box of quick steaks. You'll love them every year when you plant your garden. Again, that's quick steaks, Q-U-I-K steaks, the truly preferred way to stake and identify what's in your garden now. Did you miss the show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like. Do your children know where their food comes from? At ConnectingFarmToFork.com, there's all kinds of ways to help your child understand how 300 million of us here in America stay nourished, clothed, and healthy. Activities, food facts, and farm visits help young people learn about America's hardworking farmers and have lots of fun doing it. Visit ConnectingFarmToFork.com today for a learning experience that will really grow on you. ConnectingFarmToFork.com, brought to you by the people who care at Feedstuff's Food Link. This is America's WebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Welcome back to America's Homegrown Veggie Show. I'm Daryl Pullis, and with me today is Joe Lample from Growing or Greener World TV. And we were talking about organic material and getting life into the soil. Mm-hmm. And, Joe, what would you recommend to a homeowner? I know that you and I both have chickens, mm-hmm. so we're buying in shavings, and you also have goats and horses, so you get hay and straw, yeah. and you can add that to your garden. Yeah. What do you recommend for people? Yeah, I recommend that everybody either learn to compost or find a source for compost because that is the decomposed organic matter from 
outside the house and inside the house or a combination of both. And it's so much easier than I think people realize to make compost at home because it's really just taking your food waste from inside the house and your yard waste from outside and throwing it into a pile. It can be as simple as that. Add a few more steps to it and keep it moist and turn it once in a while to introduce new oxygen. And before you know it, in a matter of months, let's say, you've got what's known as compost, which is the point where that material has decomposed to become unrecognizable as any original matter. And that's that's what you put into your garden. And in that, you've got all your primary nutrients plus micronutrients and living matter that's going to go to work in your garden to help your plants grow. So compost is the thing. And you don't have to make it, although more people need to because it's really as easy as I just described. But these days, you can find it in bag and in bulk at you know your garden centers or at a place that typically sells soils and mulches. They oftentimes offer bulk compost for sale. And, uh, and I encourage people to find a reputable source for that and add it to their garden. Now, in a raised bed garden, you don't want to just have compost or just have topsoil because you need minerals as well. And that's where the sand, silt, and the clay, that's where the native soil comes into play because you need the minerals working with the organic matter to really create that formula that your plants need to fully thrive. And I think a lot of people forget that. Yeah, I I think you're right. I have seen people, um, they would come into the extension office and they would have this beautiful raised bed that they had made and they filled it with just compost. And then they'd say, well, nothing is growing. What's going on here? And that's because, as you mentioned, it's only one part Mm -hmm. of the equation. I asked them, well, did you put some soil in there? No, it was just the compost. Mm -hmm. So, again, you know, I think gardeners, homeowners, we need to think of balance. Yeah. Not all one or not all another. You know, some of our listeners have pure, practically pure sand, especially uh-huh. those that are growing in Florida. And, and you have to add tons of organic matter to that to get it so that it will hold some moisture and have and some water, nutrients. Yeah, right. yeah. And then there are those of us that have clay soils. And there was a brick factory up the road from my house uh, right after the Civil War. You know, when they were rebuilding. That stuff, literally, I, I would go and do talks, and I would bring a handful of, of soil that had not had the organic matter added to it, and I would I'd take it and I'd squeeze it in my fist, yeah. and I would pass it around. And people would be knocking it on the table yeah. or on their chair yeah. just to see. They couldn't believe that this is actually what it is. So, And that's a case of imbalance because part of my yard had been farmed very heavily. Part of it was woods. The wooded area had good, pretty good soil. The farmed area, there was no organic matter right. in it. And then the garden spot I was using had been gardened before and nothing had been added back to it. So, you know, if, if people can't grow in pure compost, they can't grow in pure clay or pure sand, but a mixture of those works out well for them. Yeah, the ideal soil is a roughly even mix of sand, silt, and clay. Uh But people should not, you know, people that live in areas where they have heavy clay soil, you know, that's not necessarily a curse, although it it can be very heavy and it can retain excess moisture, which is not a good thing. Clay is also the one thing that um, allows for more air pockets and water pockets and holds more nutrients because there's more per square inch or per any amount of volume, there's more space on clay particles collectively to store nutrients. And so, um, 
you know, the fact that you have clay, look at that more as a positive than a negative. Yeah, I, I learned to love clay mm-hmm. soil and just realized that I did have to loosen it up with organic matter yeah. because, it, and it came from one simple thing that I was told, I think it was probably by Wayne McLaurin that I had mentioned. He said, look at the pine trees. Pine trees here in Georgia grow eight feet a year without being fertilized. Mm. And you look at that, and that's because of the nutrient retention quality of the clay soil. Mm -hmm. Where gardeners and homeowners have the problem with the clay soil is usually all we have is that clay. It's been bulldozed over when they go in to build the homes. They strip off whatever topsoil there was. They bulldoze back and forth and back and forth and back and forth and compact that stuff, just like making bricks. And then they throw Bermuda sod over it and and call it a a garden, a Uh, yard. And so it's really difficult for them to be able to to go back and and have to recreate soil. I've seen Bermuda sod grow on a sidewalk. You know, it can grow on clay, but not much else will. If you want to do vegetables or or shrubs or something like that, it's not by itself, it's not suitable. Right. So we all have challenges. It's just we have to know what the challenges are. And I think that may be a problem for beginning gardeners. We just don't know. We don't. We don't know the questions that we need to ask. It's, It's a totally new field for a lot of people. I grew up, I was lucky. I grew up, my grandparents farmed. Um, my mother gardened, her mother gardened. So I learned all this early on, but we've now got a whole generation of people that grew up without gardening. So where do they turn? They can turn to Growing a Greener World TV, which is a great show, and 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 then they can turn, turn to their extension offices. There's an extension office in every state. There are publications. In some states, you have extension agents and master gardeners in every county or nearly every county. They give classes. And I'm always happy to give a recommendation for good books, too, mm-hmm. that people can go, and good websites. And please, people, if you're doing a search, don't just look for a blog I mean, bless their hearts, there are a lot of really good bloggers, but some of them are talking out of their hat. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> go to Joe's website. <laughs> Ask a question on the America's Homegrown Veggie Show Facebook page, and we will give you the straight dope. Or go and when you Google, say tomato.edu. Yeah, that's a good one, an educational site. Uh, I think the theme is to consider the source of the information and make sure that you feel comfortable with the person or the organization providing that information, that they're not biased, they're not tainted to one side or the other. Uh, and, and that they've got, you know, a background. Typically, any blog or any website is going to have some way to vet them out and determine their credentials to the point that you either feel comfortable or you don't. And if you don't, then certainly move on. But if you find a site that you like, bookmark it, develop a relationship with them, and, and you know, stay active with it. But I agree with you completely, Daryl, that you've got to find a source that um, isn't just, you know, flashy and pretty uh to the expense of not having, you know, some sort of research base or academic base information to back up what the recommendation is. Yeah, I, I'm just appalled, and it, and it sometimes it really even frightens me when I see what some people put on, you know, for a remedy. Um, fortunately, we don't have the person that says use five fingers of chewing tobacco and put it in a jar of water anymore. Um, at least I haven't seen that person around, um, but. 
but that's scary stuff. I mean, that's nic- basically nicotine sulfate. And yeah, you got the the tobacco is a natural product, but then you mix it with water and you you know they even they took off nicotine sulfate. Nicotine sulfate was an organic fertilizer. It was the only one on the shelves that you would find with the skull and crossbones on wow. it. Wow. So not everything that is organic is necessarily safe either. Well, and, and many, many, many botanical gardens and public gardens these days ban all tobacco products from mm-hmm. their property just for that reason. And and tobacco carries tobacco mosaic, mosaic virus. virus. Yeah. I remember back in the day, you know, now there aren't quite so many people that work in the farm field that smoke um but back in the day, they would have to wash, after their break, they would have to wash their hands in sure. milk to kill the virus from that tobacco. Yeah. But I, it just blows me away when I see what people are recommending, you know, spraying their gardens with mouthwash and things like that. And if you're lucky, it's not going to hurt the garden. But there's a chance that they're going to damage the beneficial insects, too, when they do that. Very true. And not to mention that, you know, it's a waste of time and money, even as cheap as it may be to mix up. You know, mouthwash or soda with water and pour it in your garden. If if it if it doesn't work, then don't do it. Plus, it's you know a waste of time. And and do you know Dr. Jeff Gilman? Yes, I do. He's written several books, and I love his series that starts off the truth about. And one of them is the truth about organic gardening: what works, what doesn't, and why. And he goes into the science and the research behind why it does or it doesn't work. And uh, he's, he does it in a way that's no nonsense, but it's very understandable, very down-to-earth. And he's got a whole series of books like that. And we've had him a couple times on the show. But he uh, he loves to go after, I think, the same person we're thinking about with these concoctions that you know sound like they could work. But the fact of the matter is, in most cases, they don't. And, uh, and Jeff goes into why they don't and why they're harmful and so forth. So, Yeah, and, and the garden professors have a blog oh, yeah. and a Facebook page, and you will find a lot of myth-busting there. And Jeff's Jeff, on Jeff, that group. Jeff that and, group. and Linda Chalker-Scott mm-hmm. and Bert Craig, and they're out there, and they will tell you, they will give you the straight stuff. And you can look through everything and say, you know, this is... This is the real stuff. This is research-based education. And and they're on top of all the current information. You know, they're out there. They're actively practicing. They know what the topics are and what has come across lately in discussions of their peers. And they do I, – I love the concept of that site and the fact that they're willing to share that information uh, and you know that it's – you know, it is trustworthy, research-based academic information. Uh and it's timely. It's topical. It's timely, and you can trust the sources. And so, I'm glad you mentioned that site. Well, it's it's one of my go-to sites yeah. when when somebody asks me a question and I say, eh, you know, I think I have read something, but I'm not sure. I will go there to get the straight scoop for myself. Yeah. Because um, you know, some it's not all out there in extension yet. Right. They they do the research, but not you know a lot of times, uh, somebody will take a little teeny weeny bit of information, and they will go off on a tangent and they say, okay, well if this little piece of information is correct, then this must mean that this will work over here, and then we find out later that in fact it does not work. It was not the whole truth, right? Not all the information. So with with Linda Chalker Scott and and. Gilman and Bert Craig, they've got the research-based information plus the stuff that floats around in the ether 
you know that when I don't you know, I don't know if some of our listeners know about plant nerds hmm. and how plant nerds get together and talk about stuff and there are you know entomology nerds and stuff like that and they get together and they do we have some wild discussions sometimes but in those wild discussions we find little bits of information that have been coming out of research all over the place and we can put that together yeah and and they do a marvelous job with the garden professors uh, for those of you that that don't catch it right now i'll put this up on our facebook page yeah so that you can have it and of course um our listeners those are, i know that there are some folks on that are not on facebook and you can just write to us and care of america's web radio and we will get an i will get an answer for you one way or another so you don't have to worry about it and please do go to joe's website we're going to talk about that more right after we come back from this break don't be hoodwinked by the left who wants you to believe the fairy tale that we can power america on butterflies rainbows and pixie dust i'm marita noon get the truth about energy on my show america's voice for energy only on america's web radio quick stakes That's Q-U-I-K steaks are not just for surveyors. They are great for family and community gardens. Go online to www.quickstake.com or contact your local land surveying supply dealer and get you a box of quick steaks. You'll love them every year when you plant your garden. Again, that's quick steaks, Q-U-I-K steaks, the truly preferred way to stake and identify what's in your garden now. Hello, I'm Dr. Mike Karuchak. Have you ever wondered what doctors talk about amongst themselves? If you do, join us on the Doctor's Lounge and hear the doctors' conversations amongst themselves. Join me and my co-host, Dr. Hal Schertz, every Thursday morning, 8 to 9 a.m. This is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Welcome back to America's Homegrown Veggie Show. I'm Gerald Pullis, and with me today is Joe Lample from Growing a Greener World, and we have been all over the stratosphere, but I want to tell people a little bit about what Joe's been doing on his show, which is Growing a Greener World TV. And for those of you that are unfortunate enough to live in one of those benighted states that do not carry Growing a Greener World on TV, yes, Georgia, are you listening? Yeah. Um, Joe, you have all of your episodes on your website, and it's marvelous. I thank you so much for that. You're welcome. Because you have the information. You're all over the country talking to people and bringing new ideas, and I can see them. Yes. You know, I don't have to rely on my public TV station not carrying the show. And if I want to listen to it, you know, at 5 o'clock in the morning, I don't have to go park myself, you know, down in a chair someplace either. Yeah, you just need an Internet connection, and we've done the rest of the work. And we have uh, invested, you know, a good bit of money to bring it to you in the best, fastest quality that we can give it to you in high definition and in, in a big screen. Not You don't have to watch it on a little screen where you squint to see it. It's it's almost the whole page. And, you know, we're real proud of that. But we, uh, we think it's really important to make our episodes ex- as accessible as possible. And we understand there are limitations uh, from stations across the country. We're thankful that over 90% of the country carries our show. But, you know, there are people out there and more every day that are accessing information not on television but through their devices. And so we want to make sure that those people, and especially 
you know, some of those people are what we consider our most important audience and that those are the future gardeners. They're the up-and-comers, and we want to inspire them and provide them the information they need to get into this and to understand how fun and productive and, you know, enjoyable it can be. So uh, it's important that they are able to get that information however they prefer to get it. And I really, really thank you. I will sometimes, you know, if I, if I, I don't like watching TV on on my computer, but I will watch your show, and I will watch it on my tablet. Yeah, you know, just because if, if I'm someplace and I, I can do it. Yeah, and that's fun. And your shows, Joe. For those of you that have not yet listened to grow or watched Growing a Greener World TV, you have a really eclectic mix of people. Mm-hmm. You will be some but someplace talking to a horthead one day, yeah. and the next day you're talking to uh, a veteran who yeah. has come back from Iraq and is trying to put their life together and is finding that peace in the garden. Yes. And you've got... Uh, people that are going to farm school. Yeah. For those of you that don't know that, that you can actually go and take a year at a farm school. Learn everything about it. And uh, oh, Joe, I was blown away by the soil at that farm school. Oh, I know. When you guys were were, I, and this is a recent episode, so you go to Grow, Growing a Greener World TV and look at the current episodes. They're in the 500 series. Yeah. And go look at that farm school. And look at that soil when they when you were digging potatoes. Oh, I was so jealous of that soil. <laughs> and when they were even before when they were planting and they were just digging their hands in the dirt. Yeah. And that's that's the soil I grew up in yeah, Midwest, that's beautiful in Illinois. Stuff. You know, it was just one step away from prairie back then. Wow. Um, and that's one of the things that that was up in Massachusetts. Yes. Right? Massachusetts has that advantage too. They don't lose quite so much organic matter. Yeah. And they have lots of nice sand in some pockets too in yeah. that soil. And you mentioned earlier on about not everything being perfect. One of the things I liked about that episode too is that you showed that a leaf hopper had gotten that particular potato variety. Yeah. And was stunting the plants right. so that so that the farmer rather than leaving the crop in the ground and having it just not doing very well, they harvested the potatoes. The potatoes were small, but they were perfectly fine and edible. Right. And I guess that also takes gets the insect vector out of there, mm-hmm. gets those leaf hoppers uh-huh. out. Um, we don't have. I don't think I've ever had a problem with hopper burn on potatoes here in Georgia. But I know in many parts of the world, it's terrible. And now they've found that leaf hoppers are carrying a terrible disease. Yeah, uh, but but can I just tell you um, a, the strangest disease or the strangest uh, what would I call it input that had an in, had an effect on my potato plants was do, when we were filming growing a greener I mean sorry fresh from the garden the show we started conversation with on DIY Network this was I forgot there was one other partial failure that we had and it was with our potato crops and so our third season. We had these beautiful rows of tomatoes growing. Potatoes. I'm sorry. I'm getting all my terms confused. Potatoes growing. And then they started developing brown and black spots on the leaves, and the plants started sort of melting from the top. And, you know, we were perplexed as to what it is. But, you know, throughout this conversation today, you've mentioned the, the value of extension. And so I had an entomologist... Uh, and a plant nerd friend at University of Georgia in the Griffin Experiment Station. And so I sent her pictures of our problem. And thanks to technology, she was able to that day diagnose our problem as something I had never heard of before. 
Do you have any idea what I might be ready to tell you that I'm, I'm waiting to hear it from so, your lips? So we are so we're out in a in a suburb of a of a North Atlanta area that you know is not near the freeway or highway or anything. But the problem was ozone damage. Have yep. you heard of that before? I have heard of it. We, we occasionally would have it on days when the pollution was really, really bad. Yeah. And then and you don't you don't associate it with it because you see the damage a couple of days later. Yeah. It's not something like, oh, we had a bad air day, you know, yeah. code red, don't, you know, don't pump gas in your cars and stuff like that. And then you get, you know, a couple of days later you get it and you, and that's one of the reasons why I like to keep little notes about uh-huh. my garden a lot because that weather and different conditions will tell you a lot. But, you know, we had it, we don't, I haven't had anybody tell me that they've had ozone damage recently. Right. And I think it's probably due to our better air conditions. Yeah, I think things have improved. This wasn't that long ago, and uh, it was. in certain potatoes varieties were more susceptible than others, and it mm-hmm. just happened to be those were two of the varieties that I was growing. And interestingly, one of the varieties that's not susceptible that I was growing did not show any symptoms of ozone damage. So it definitely was a good confirmation that that's what we had. But it was really interesting for me as an aha moment for something I'd never encountered before, but I'll never forget it going forward. Yeah. It's a, I've seen it on tomatoes. I, I haven't seen it on potatoes. But, yes, it is an aha moment. Yeah. Um, it, it, another one of my aha moments was one year, I, you know, I raise a lot of tomatoes. Um, and one year I had flat of seedlings, and the soil mix had changed, and they had put uh, beneficial microbes in it. And I used my usual blue fertilizer that I sometimes jump uh-huh. start with them uh-huh. with. They turned the brightest shade of yellow you have ever seen right? in your life. And what had happened, of course, was um, it, it just threw everything off balance. Yeah. Because of the microbes in the soil and the way the the way the soil was, the microbes were changing how the plants use the nutrients. Of course. And it's it gardening is so much fun. <laughs> And because there's always going to be that aha moment. And that's one of the things that I would I love for the millennials and the people coming up to find out and to reach out to people like you mentioned, people in extension. And now in most states, you just snap a picture mm-hmm. and send it to your extension office. If the extension agent or master gardener doesn't know, they forward it to a specialist and the specialist says, bingo, this is what you got. Right. And it's practically instantaneous. You don't have to wait for weeks like we used to back uh-huh. in the dark ages where they had to mail it in and hope that it didn't die on the way, you know, didn't get too desiccated or whatever yeah. in the box on the way there. And we're not there yet, but there are apps that are coming along that will not necessarily diagnose a specific disease uh, or problem, but they may help you identify a plant, which is a good, or tree. So there's a great ID apps going on there now. Yeah. And then we are getting closer to being able to diagnose problems through our phones. Yeah, well, you know, the extension agents are already using their phones to go back and forth between themselves and specialists or other extension agents. Um, they, they've got a new app that I was just reading about that they've been they've been working on, the turf people. Because, oh. of course, turf is, is huge in, in Georgia sure. and in a number of states. And that's apparently being very useful for them. So nice. we will see that in public pretty soon. Nice. And I will try to dig out the app for those of our listeners that might be interested in it. I will try to dig out that information and put it on our Facebook page. Or you can write to us in care of America's Web Radio. I know people. some people don't like Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> I find it a lot. What 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 is your opinion of it? I like connecting with people, 
and pictures. You know, I, I visit it every day and I scroll through it just to kind of see who's doing what. Mm-hmm. And it's more for entertainment. But, you know, from a business perspective, we utilize it as one of our other outreaches of our media because we know that there are some people that live off of Facebook. Mm-hmm. And so we want to be present there. So we want to have a presence. But the thing about Facebook is if you're trying to use it as a tool for your business, you have to understand that you don't control Facebook. Facebook decides how people are going to access that information, and they continue to change their algorithms to the point that we have less control than ever of what our audience sees unless we pay to make sure that content is delivered to them. And I'm sorry, I can't pay. So for all of you that are listening now, if you'll go to Facebook and like us, and then sometime if we don't show up in your feed, um, just go and look for it. After a couple of months, I've heard anything um, from this website or, or, or whatever, that business, or a friend, and I will go looking. And they've been posting right along, and Facebook has not sent it to me. Yeah, if it's not a sponsored post, they are now screening uh, probably 90% of the of the information that goes out there. For example, if you open your garden page, uh, about less than 10% of your audience are going to change that down to a fraction of that. So get ready. That's too bad. But people can always go to America's Homegrown Veggie Show and right. get some good information. And I periodically post for different groups. And, and like Teresa Lowe works with you at Growing a Greener World TV, and she is a master preserver and sometimes has the most amazing things that she has done. And But people can't find her half the time. The feed doesn't show up. Right. Thank you. Thank goodness she has an awesome website, livinghomegrown.com, and she's just relaunched it, and it is incredible. She's been working on it for over a year. She has a new canning academy coming out. So, you know, for people that want to learn more about canning, from knowing nothing to really feeling confident that they can do just about anything, she's got a really exciting course coming out, and we're happy to have her on our on our team. And it- and she presents things in a way that you can understand. Just like you <laughs> Even do. I, I can understand. <laughs> well, and I, that's what the other thing I was going to say, Joe, about your show, is that you present things in a way that people can understand. It's Thank not you. high up in the air gobbledygook. You know, I think that's one of the things, fortunately, I'm, I'm able to sometimes do pretty well. And that's to take, you know, what they say and try to translate that. So that it comes out on the other side in a way that I think even a new gardener can understand. And I'm sure they thank you for it. I hope everybody will take advantage of that. And, Joe, what are your plans for next year? We just finished a big planning meeting with the whole team, and we have another 26 episodes coming out. Some will be encore episodes. Uh, A lot of them will be brand new. Uh, again, traveling the country, and some of them staying on our farm in, in Atlanta and uh, and bringing some more great stories. So we're still vetting out the topics and the timing and, and where we're going to be, but there's no doubt there are going to be some really great episodes. Some of our best are yet to come. I'm looking forward to it. I'm also looking forward to getting back and reading, listening to all of your archives. Yeah. I go through some of them, and I just came across the one with the bug lady. Oh, the podcast. Yeah. yeah. And, and I, I just, I'll, I'll, we should tell them that. We've got podcasts, too. We've, <laughs> we've only got a couple of seconds yeah. here, though. So finding you is... com will get you the videos. It'll get you the podcast. You can search for any of those things in the in the search bar. Uh, I think once you're there, you'll find it. Okay. Thank you so much for being with us, Joe. I hope you'll come back in another month or so before you go off on another ride around the world. Um, And we'll be back here with America's Homegrown Veggie Show right next week.